Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word in order to lead us to a personal transformational relationship with God. This podcast series called Philippians, How to Have Joy, was recorded from September to October of 2021, a sermon series by Preset Ministries National Director Mark Sheldrake to a local Ontario church. Now let us listen to Mark's message as he takes us into the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians where through scripture we can discover how to have joy. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here again, Unlocking the Truth podcast, Ministry of Precept Ministries Canada. We're in the studio this week recording the episode of Philippians Back, 61 Sherwood Drive in Brantford. So glad you can join us, whether you're joining online through iTunes or SoundCloud or directly from our website. How exciting it is to be in the Word each and every time we get together, and this time we're looking at Philippians. We're asking the question through this series of how can we have joy, and we desperately need to see more joy in the world. And uh, this week, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 30, a big chunk of scripture, but we're going to hone in on a couple of key points in these passages. We're also going to look at a couple of things that are real joy stealers in this week's work. All right, so let's let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into it. Let me pray, and then we will begin to walk through the verses together. Father, we do thank you for the time that we have to get together and study the book of Philippians, whether we're using the precept upon precept, the in and out, or we're just listening to this podcast uh, each and every episode as it releases. I pray, Lord, that you would be with those who are listening, that you would encourage them to engage in your word, that you would have them to open their Bibles and study along with us and know these truths, to be able to see the things that you have written and not just go by the word of man. All right, Father, we give this time to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been walking through Philippians. We've been walking through, and we've gotten through the first chapter into the second chapter a little bit, and we have looked at the overview of why Philippians was written. We've looked at rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice is the key word. We've seen that joy is a theme that runs through the entire book of Philippians. We also saw in the previous episode that Paul uses himself as an example of uh, someone who can respond with joy in circumstances. And then he raises the bar and shows us the example that Jesus gives uh, as the, you know, in chapter two, Jesus becomes the example that we are to live up to. We are to have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. I mean, the the bar was high when we look at the Apostle Paul, but the bar is really high when we look at Jesus Christ. And as we work through the scriptures this week, we're going to see uh, a few things. One, we're going to see Uh, We're going to go back and we're going to look at a couple things that steal joy. We're also going to see what it means uh, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So a lot to pack in in a short amount of time. So let's look at these verses. All right, I want to go back and I want to look at a couple of things that are joy stealers before we get into the text that we have before us 
today, all right? So there are a couple of joy stealers that we see at the end of chapter 1, verse 27 to really uh, maybe to chapter to verse 11, and then we're going to come into another joy stealer uh, as we work into the end of chapter 2. So the first joy stealer, these are the things that steal joy from us, all right? If our goal is to have joy and our goal is to be Christ-like, one joy stealer is disunity. And we see that and we've looked at, it, as Paul has explained through the end of chapter 1 all the way through to where the text picks up for us this week in, in verse 12 of chapter 2, He has broken out for us the importance of unity. He tells us at the end of chapter 1 and verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, One spirit, one mind, one mission. All right, so this is what he's telling us is that he desperately wants to hear that this church that he loves so much is striving together with one mind, one purpose, and that is the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you have disunity, you are not of one mind, you're not of the same spirit, and and oftentimes, we all think when we're not united, when, we're, when there's disunity, we often think we're all striving towards the same purpose with the same goal. We just all have different ideas of how we're going to get there. And so this is where disunity comes. But uh, the key purpose is what Paul wants is, are you all working together? Are you striving together, working together for the purpose of the gospel, not alarmed by your opponent? And then in the previous episode, we saw all of the things that we've got to get rid of, all right? The things that we have to remove from our life in order to be unified, all right? There are things that we must get rid of, and he tells us that we must, we can make Paul's joy complete by being of the same mind, the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. And then he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. All right, so we've looked at this. This is all review. We looked at Jesus, others, you, which is joy. Uh, Those three things that we need to do, Jesus first, others second, ourselves or yourselves last. All right, those are the things that we need to do if we want to strive together, be unified with one purpose, and that is to populate heaven and plunder hell. Then Paul gives us the example of Jesus, and he says, this is the bar at which you should be. Model yourself, have the same attitude as Jesus, that he emptied himself of all his um, heavenly position, and he came down to earth as a man, and went to the cross. Why? For us. He sacrificed himself for us for the purpose of forgiveness of sins. All right? So although he was fully man while he was on earth, he was fully God. He did not lose his deity while he was on earth. All right? So now let's pick up the passage where we're going to be where we are today, and this is where we start to see another... um, joy stealer, but also an important thing to look at and what Paul tells us that we need to do 
as we try to become of same mind, same purpose, uh, and having the same attitude. All right, so all of these things that he calls us to, united in spirit, uh, of the same mind, intent on one purpose, get rid of all of the garbage and all the selfishness, humble yourselves as Jesus humbled yourself. And then in verse 12, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, we can't go any further than those first two verses because we need to really understand what Paul is telling us when he says, work out your salvation. So point number one in this is we have to understand that Paul is not telling us as believers and this church that we are to work for our salvation. That's not what this is saying, is that we cannot be saved by our works. We're not justified by the things that we do. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. But the Christian life is a life of work. This is not about what we do to serve others. This is about the work that we undertake as we grow to be more and more like Jesus each and every day. All right, so the idea of work is to continually bring something to completion. All right, is to... So what we're looking at here, and I've got this written down because I want to make sure that you get this, you get this good understanding as we move forward, okay? This is actively pursuing obedience. Uh, what Paul is telling us to work out our salvation is to actively pursue obedience by being sanctified, all right? And that is to be uh, sanctifying to become more and more like Jesus each and every day. We never arrived when we first accepted Jesus. There is a work that needs to be done as we grow and mature. A good part of this growing and maturing and being sanctified is our relationship to the Word of God. It's in the Word of God where we truly understand what the standard is for becoming more and more Christ-like. If you just think about the Old Testament and how the the model of the tabernacle, and we've looked at this in previous podcasts if you've tuned in, but it's how do you approach a holy God, that holy people can and righteous people can approach a holy God. Uh, we saw that in the Hebrews podcast that we did. But the reality is that our work that we must be doing as believers is we must be pursuing at all costs be to be obedient to God and His Word. And in that process of being obedient, we will continually get rid of the garbage that we have in our lives that we so our flesh so desires to overtake us and want to worship those things and follow after those things. And this is the great part about this. All right, this we don't have to do this alone. There is work that we must do, and that is be obedient. That, that's hard enough to be obedient uh, as we become more and more like Jesus. All right, this is what I remind myself all the time, all right? So as a parent, I now have a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old. 
I can't believe it. I have a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old. Uh, but what we had to do from the very beginning of when our, our children were born, we had to teach them how to be obedient. We never once had to teach them how to be disobedient. They had that down from the very beginning. But we had to teach them to be obedient, and it takes work. And it's a work that is still in process. All right? Uh, they're not perfect. We're not perfect. But we're all striving towards uh, this place where, you know, our family can be unified together as a good family unit where we're all in line with one another and I like to use the verses from Isaiah chapter 45 all the time where it says, uh, you cannot argue with your maker. I constantly remind my children, hello, I'm your maker. You can't argue with me. But we're constantly teaching our children to be obedient. It's the same process for you and I as believers. It's work for us to become obedient. Obedient, obedient, obedient. And sanctification, we have to get rid of the things in our lives that keep popping up. It's so funny. You think that you have conquered sin. You're doing so well for a couple of days. And then you realize that another sin that you haven't conquered begins to overtake. And so constantly we're dealing with sin that is in our lives that we must get rid of as a part of being obedient to Jesus Christ. All right, now listen to what Paul says. All right, he says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is, this fear and trembling is that we are to have a healthy fear or reverence for God as we do this, to knowing who God is and what God can do. We know that God will judge uh, those who sin and those who are unrighteous with his wrath, but we have to fully understand and we fully need to know that we need to respect God for who he is and who his character is. He is a just God. He does not want to have sin in his kingdom. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to be prepared for when he sends his son Jesus Christ back. So we must fear God and rev revere him and respect him for who he is and what his character is. All right, so this is how we work out our fear, our salvation with fear and trembling. We work hard to be obedient because we know who God is and what God does to those who are unrighteous. Uh, this does not mean that we live in fear that, as the proverbial saying goes, that, oh, if I do that wrong, uh, there's a lightning bolt that's going to come upon me. That's not good doctrine. Uh, good doctrine says that I am a child of God. I have been forgiven because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. I can't earn my salvation, but I must work to be more and more like Jesus each and every day in the attitude and the actions of my life, knowing that God punishes sin. All right? But we have a mediator who is Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God, and he looks and he shows the Father that we are his, and he mediates on our behalf. We need to respect God for who he is. We must work out our salvation and being obedient and go through the sanctification process. Now, look at this. This is the best part about this. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, Going through the process of sanctification and becoming more and more obedient to Jesus Christ is not something we do alone. 
we were promised when Jesus left that we would receive the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who is working in us. All right. The idea here is that God is the energizer. He is the one who does the work to bring about the desire to be obedient to God's word. All right. He is energizing and giving you and I the desire to go through the process of sanctification. It's the Holy Spirit that will show us the things that we need to get rid of in our lives and then bring conviction and give a, and challenge us and show us how important it is for us to become more and more like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is coming back and Jesus has prepared a place for us and there is a reward in heaven for us that is eternal life. And it is for those who overcome and those who persevere until the end. Those who are sanctified and ready and prepared for when Jesus returns. It's so vital for us. Just think about this. It's not how we start, but it's how we finish. And this constantly comes up upon me as I think about many of the marathons that I have run in my, in my life. You can start out too fast. You can start out thinking you're going to do really great. And then in the middle, you go through these difficult times where you're not sure whether you're going to finish. You, you're not sure whether you want to continue, that the process is too hard to be able to do that. But in the end, when you persevere to the end and you get the medal, there's such great reward and excitement for that. Uh, in the marathon, in the running world, they call it Medal Monday on social media. Why? Because on Metal Monday, you take a picture and you show everybody the great reward you had and you get to compare all the different medals you have. How cool is that? Listen to what Warren Wearsby says about this process that God works in our lives. He says, the Christian life is not about ups and downs, but it's about ins and outs. God works in us and we work it out. We cultivate a submissive mind by responding to the divine provisions that God puts in place for us. All right? So when God shows us the things in our lives that we need to clean up, that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are given the desire to get rid of that garbage. We want to keep defeating sin and getting rid of it in our lives because we want to please Jesus. This is what it means to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but to know that it is God who is working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit that brings about these, the desire for us to change. How cool is this that Paul, what he says in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who started the work in us? It was God. All right? It's the Holy Spirit that's working in us. John tells us that it's the Holy Spirit is the one who is working in our lives, and no man comes to God unless the Father draws him 
to him. All right, so the work has started well before that moment we call that moment of conversion. Think about what has to happen in our lives as sinners, as selfish people who so desire to only follow after our own our own will, our own passions, our own desires, and that we have to believe that this man was who came from heaven, was God, was fully God, was fully man, that he went to the cross, that he sacrificed himself for the purpose of sins, and then we have to submit our entire lives over to him and let him rule our lives, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us, and the Holy Spirit brings conviction, conviction in our lives and causes us to be more and more like Jesus. It takes the Holy Spirit to, to be able to wrap our our futile human minds around the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit already has to be working in us for us to believe that what happened at Calvary and when Christ was resurrected happened. What, what is the difference between it being just a fable and a story and it being the truth? It's the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. We see so many people who have heard the same gospel that we have, but they look at it as a fable, a story, a, a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer type of thing. Just, just another story amongst another, a million different religious stories, uh, whether they're Christian or not Christian. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives, and it says, He who began the good work in us will complete it. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to keep working in our lives. Our work is to get rid of it. Our work is to defeat it. Our work is to continually strive towards obedience in Jesus Christ. All right, now, I promise you this. Okay, this is going to hurt. This is the part that it's really going to hurt for us. Okay, because now this is another joy stealer that comes. But as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, listen to what Paul then tells us that the believer needs to do as we work, okay? As we work out to salvation, he tells us, do all these things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. All right, so did you hear it? Did you hear what the text told us? Okay, this is the hard part. Christians, listen, I know it's difficult, but it says, as you work out your salvation— as you work towards obedience and sanctification to be more and more Christ-like, he says, Paul says, do it without grumbling and do it without disputing. All right, so let's, let's think about this for a moment. Let's look at the first one. All right, so the first, these are joy stealers, okay? These, these just suck the life right out of you. And if, if you hang around people like this, it sucks your joy too. If you know people that are dealing with uh, this as a, a problem on a regular basis, you have to be careful because they'll suck your life away or you as the grumbler or disputer will have no joy yourself. You'll also suck the joy out of other people. All right, so here it is, grumbling. This is a grumbling, and it is not a grumbling 
that tells us that we are grumbling about the drummer at the church service being too loud. Okay, that's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about that we should be doing ministry within a church this way, and therefore we're grumbling about how the church pastor is doing what the church pastor is doing. There are other verses in the scriptures that refer to this grumbling and how to deal with that grumbling. Okay, you can look at First and Second Timothy, for example. But here, what Paul is telling us is that as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that God is at work within us, that we're not to grumble against God. All right? Let me give you a couple of examples of where uh, we've seen people grumble against God. Okay, you ready? You ready for these? Okay, well, we don't have to look far. We only have to go back to Exodus. All right, so let me give you two examples of grumbling in the book of Exodus. One is when the Israelites come out into the desert and they're out there for a little while, they begin to complain to Moses and they're complaining to Moses about water. All right, so they're complaining about water. See this in the book of Numbers as well. Water. We, we'd rather go back to Egypt because we don't have any water to drink. And then Moses goes before God, and God tells Moses to strike a rock, and they have water. They didn't complain about water once. They complained about water twice. They complained that it wasn't being provided for them. Okay? That's, that's one example. Let me give you another example. How about manna? How about when God was providing manna for the Israelites in the desert? For six days, they had enough manna to collect each and every day. And on the sixth day, they would gather enough to have food supplied for them for the Sabbath. And so they would gather twice as much on the day before the Sabbath so that they didn't have to gather and work on the Sabbath. Well, you think the Israelites were satisfied with the bread from heaven? that God provided for them each and every day in the desert that they didn't have to work? No, they complained. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Why? Because Egypt had a buffet. Egypt had all kinds of stuff that they were eating and the choice meats and the wonderful foods that they would rather go back into this oppression and making bricks and being beaten and working all kinds of hours so that they could have good food. These people were complaining to God, and they just wanted fish. Could we just get one fish? They weren't looking at this as a provision from God. They were grumbling to God about not being provided for. Just a side note to all this, you know, we don't see manna coming up out of the ground anymore. But, you know, just down the road from the precept office, 40 minutes down the road, I am convinced that the modern-day manna is now found in Kitchener. It was well-known to be found throughout the United States in many, many areas, all the way up to Ohio when I would drive down to Chattanooga, Tennessee all the time. But I I believe that God's provided manna right now is Chick-fil-A. I've... Chick-fil-A has to be the manna of today. 
We have to pay for it, but they're closed on Sundays. So if you buy enough on the Saturday, you can have enough for Sunday. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I'm so thankful Chick-fil-A is so close now. It's absolutely amazing. It is worth the drive down the road. But here are the Israelites complaining about what was provided for them. How often do we complain and grumble against God because this work of salvation and this work of sanctification is hard? That sometimes we go through moments of discipline where we, where we have difficult days where we're in valleys because God is trying to correct us and bring us about to a position of getting rid of that sin in our lives and we grumble and complain against God because, because of what's going on within us and our unwillingness to be transformed to be more and more like Jesus every day. That there are things that we want to hang on to in our lives and not get rid of as the Holy Spirit works in our lives to sanctify us. Uh, grumbling against God. Look at the next one. Disputing. All right. Uh, by the way, grumblers are never happy. They're joyless. They got something to complain about all the time. Uh, dis disputing. All right. Do, do all things, not some things, do all things without disputing. Uh, grumbling or disputing. Disputing is to argue with God. Okay, this is specifically focused on arguing with God. All right, 2 Timothy and tells us that we're not to get caught into foolish controversies with others and genealogies and things like that and to dispute in that way with others. So there are verses within the scripture that tell us we should not be disputing among one another. All right, so it, this is important to note because the world that we're living in, in a COVID-19 pandemic world where people are battling over vaccines in the Christian world, they are disputing and arguing and grumbling and complaining all the time about how they have are restricted or whatever the case may be. There are passages in Scripture that tell us the importance of being a good example within the world and not grumbling and disputing. Don't grumble and dispute against God. When we dispute and we argue God, we question one of the most important characteristics of God in his being. You want to know what it is? It's his sovereignty. When we dispute against God, we question whether he rules over all. We put ourselves above God. We want to argue with him. We don't want to do it the way that he wants us to do it. And we question his sovereignty. These things, when we question his sovereignty, are not examples of humility. That is an example of arrogance and pride. When we know God and we know his character, we know that God is the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the Most High. He is the Sovereign One. And, he, and we have to be faithful to Him and know that He is at work in our lives and He is, has a purpose to bring us into a completion to be ready to be with Jesus when He comes back or we go home. 
All right. So it is so important for us that we need to submit and have a submissive mind to God to understand that what God is doing in our lives has a purpose and he has a plan and it is for our good. These are so important for us to know as we work out our salvation. Don't question God's sovereignty. God's in control. All right, let's keep moving through. Don't do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now look at the, the so that in verse 15. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights of the world. Oh, man. Oh, no. We live in a crooked and perverse world. Did you know that? You, you can't be surprised by that. When you, when you look around at what's happening in the world, uh, we are living in a world that is so crooked and perverse, it is more polarized than it has ever been before. But here's what we are to do. We are to not grumble. We are to not dispute so that we can prove with our actions as we live in this world, this corrupt world, that we are blameless and innocent children. All right, this is a process that we are working to. This is sanctification. We are not there yet. We are not blameless. We are not innocent. We are not perfect, but we are striving towards that. All right, blameless means that we are people who live a life that cannot be questioned. Our lives cannot be criticized by our actions because we are striving to be more and more like Jesus each and every day. All right, this is all about our testimony in the world. Uh, Secondly, we are to be innocent. All right, so we are to be uh, blameless and innocent, Uh, That means pure. We are to strive to be pure and not um, filled with sin. Look, we are going to sin. We are humans. We are still living on this side of Jesus' second coming. So we still will be in that battle with our flesh, but we can't allow those sins to rule over us. We must defeat sin and keep beating it down each and every day. All right, so in the end, we are to be pure. We're also to be above reproach. That's when people look at us and they can't bring any accusation against us, where there's nothing that can come against us that would so prove that we are not children of God. And we are to, how do we do it? You know, how do we strive to be Uh, blameless and innocent and pure and above reproach in a crooked and perverse generation. Verse 16, hold fast the word of life. Uh, Hold fast. Uh, Don't let go. Uh, Be unbreakable with the word of God. Uh, Did you know, and I've never done this, so I've heard this. I've seen YouTube videos on it. When you are skydiving and you try to connect with people and hold hands in the, in the sky, there is a specific way in which you hold hands with the person that you are going to connect with in the sky. 
And that is for that person to grab your wrist and hold on tight while you grab their wrist and you hold on tight. And so you've basically both got each other's wrists. You're holding on tight. And that is almost an unbreakable grip. It's a stronger grip than when you hold your fingers together because your fingers can separate. And this is what we're being called to do. We're being called to have that same type of grip, that unbreakable grip that we would have if we were skydiving with the Word of God. We are to hold fast to God's Word, the Word of life, and we are to do that until the return of Jesus Christ. So how are you going to be sanctified? How are you going to be found blameless and innocent and pure and above reproach? You've got to be in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is going to work in your life as you read and study and learn what it's like to approach a holy God through his word. He's going to convict you of all the sins in your life that you need to get rid of to be more and more like him. All right? Hold fast to the word. Why? So that in the day of Christ, when Christ returns, that Paul will once again be united with this church at Philippi knowing that all of the work that he did during his life was not in vain and that this church strived to be more and more like Jesus and they too share in the gift of eternal life. There's no greater thing to see, and I love it. This is what I love most about working at Precept. It's not even work for me. It is sheer joy to watch as we engage new people in God's Word and watch them get into the Word and begin to hold fast to the Word and watch their lives change and be transformed. This is what makes it so worthwhile for us as trainers of God's Word and the inductive Bible study method is to see the light bulbs come on in people's lives and the desire for them to live out God's word each and every day. And we can look back on those workshops and those events and say, you know what? It was well worth the trip to that location because God did an amazing work in the life of those individuals. This is what gets us fired up as an organization is when we hear how God is working in the lives of those who are in his word. This is what Paul's desire is. It's not for him to be, you know, built up and put another crest on his jacket to say, hey, I I got the Philippian church to the gates of heaven. No, it's not that. The joy is that God is working in their life through the process of sanctification, that they were ready, that they accepted the gospel from Paul, that they lived out the gospel, they worked out their salvation with fear and trembling, that God was at work in them, and that when they meet again in eternity, if they do not meet in person, which they don't meet in person, Paul can celebrate because they will be all together in the new kingdom of Jesus Christ. Does that fire you up? Does that get you excited? This is why it's so great to invest in people. All right, let's let's keep working through or we're going to we're going to run we're going to run out of time. 
All right, so here, here's three joy stealers for you, and then we'll come through. Okay, a joy stealer is not being unified. A joy stealer is a grumbler, and a joy stealer is a disputer. We're to be working out our salvation. We're to hold fast to the word of God. And then it says in verse 17, Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. You too, I urge you to rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Instead of grumbling and disputing about the process of sanctification, find joy in it. Rejoice at how God is transforming you and changing you to be more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. How do you have joy? Be obedient. Sanctification. Look at the markers in your life, how God is transforming you to be more and more like him each and every day. As Paul wraps out the the chapter, he gives us some phenomenal examples of humility and of people who are striving to be more and more like Jesus each and every day. And, and their spirit of humility towards serving God and being of one spirit, one mind, and one purpose, which is populate heaven and plunder hell. He gives us the example of Timothy, who Timothy uh, had a kindred spirit. He was genuinely concerned for the church's welfare. He had a heart's desire to see the church grow and become more like Jesus Christ. We also learn about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, who even in his sickness and almost in his death, strived to do good for the church. He put mission above his own personal interests. These two examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus and the third example of Paul are all examples, three men who are striving to be more and more Christ-like each and every day. People that who have humbled themselves for the purpose of the mission. People who have put their own interests, their own desires, to the back burner of the stove for the purpose of being united in one spirit, in one mind, in one purpose, populate heaven and plunder hell. So you want to know how to have joy? As we keep looking at this subject of how to have joy in our lives, we can find great joy in being obedient and going through the process of sanctification and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We can find great joy in seeing how we continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can have great joy in seeing sin defeated after sin defeated and yet celebrate and rejoice in the fact that the Holy Spirit continues to show us the areas that we need to grow. And then finally, we can can be people who have great joy, who do this with a rejoicing heart, not a grumbling and disputive, selfish heart. 
we can look to these three examples. Wait, wait, how many examples? Not three examples, four examples. We can look to Paul. We can look to Timothy. We can look to Epaphroditus. And more importantly, we can look to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of doing the work of God without grumbling or disputing. Paul constantly says in his letters, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Maybe you can be the example. Maybe you can be the example to those that are around you, to those who are watching you in this corrupt world, in this place filled with sin. Maybe you can be the example of work, showing others how to work out your salvation. Maybe you can be the one who invests in others. Maybe you can be the shining example in a very dark world. Father, we do thank you for the time that you have given us to be in your word, looking at these wonderful verses, these wonderful examples, and again, obviously, Lord, to be looking at your son, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate example of one who humbled himself. Father, I pray for each and every listener, those who who are working out their salvation with fear and trembling. That, Father, even in the midst of this corrupt world, this corrupt place that we live, that we can find great joy in being conformed to you. So go before us now as we serve you. May we be lights in a very dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Be sure to visit our website, presetministries.ca, to find a Bible study class or workshop that will give you the tools to know God deeper.